I would ask you to open up your Bibles, but I'm going to read a section of Scripture that's sort of meshed with all of the four Gospels. The passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is really a, um, it's, it's in every single one of the Gospels. And so instead of reading each one separately, I'm going to read from a, a version that has compiled all of the information from the four, so it's going to be hard for you to read along with me this morning. But I want you to hear the whole story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. If you would, listen as I read from the Word of God. The next day, the crowd, the great crowd that had come for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a fowl of a donkey. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. They went and they found a colt outside of the street tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? Untying the colt, they answered as Jesus had told them to do, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And when he had came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. As he enters Jerusalem, there's little question as to who the king is. I want you to wrap your minds around this scene for just a moment. For three years, Jesus has been teaching. For three years, he's caused the blind to see. For three years, he's led the lame to walk again. For three years, he's cured skin diseases, and he's helped the deaf to hear again. Jesus has raised the dead. He's brought joy to the masses. But don't forget that he also has walked on water, that he's calmed the sea just before he calmed the demon that was in someone that no one else could figure out a cure for. Jesus had turned water to wine. Jesus had turned hearts to God. He spoke to the people that no one else would speak to. He touched the people that no one else would come close to. He forgave the people that no one thought could be forgiven. King Jesus taught... He healed, he loved, he calmed, he forgave. And so when he comes into town, 
they shout, Hosanna, means save, I pray. And that's why they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's why they said that he was the king of Israel. That's why people went out to meet him, because of who he had been to them, not just on this one day, not just in this one time, but who Jesus had been to them throughout his ministry, who he had been to them for the last three years, everything that they needed he had been. Everything that the world at that time needed, the king had supplied to them. He had done what he said he was going to do way back in the beginning of his ministry when he stood up in the, the, the synagogue of his hometown and he began to read from Isaiah and he told them he was going to preach good news to the captive. He was going to bind up the brokenhearted. He was going to do all those things. And what he said he was going to do, he did. For three years, this man did the acts of a king, not just a king, but the greatest king. And so when Jesus rode into town here in Luke chapter 19 and in John chapter 12 and in Matthew 21 and in Mark 11, in all of those recordings, one of the only passages, there's, there's a few, but during the time of Jesus, there's not many things that are recorded in all four, but they record Every one of the, the gospel writers record that Jesus came into town and was celebrated as king. And when he came into town, he rode into town as a king. He rode into town as a king. As you look in the Old Testament, there's passages about, and, and the first two are in the book of Judges, and I know they weren't kings in the days of Judges, but there were rulers and there were leaders and we're told about the one judge, Jair, that he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys and possessed 30 cities. That sounds kind of like a king, doesn't it? That each one of those men had their own city that they ruled over. And it says that they rode on donkeys. That was the sign that they were the leaders. Abdon, a little bit later in the book of Judges, chapter 12 and verse 14, had 40 sons and 30 grandsons that rode on 70 donkeys. It was a sign of kingship. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that when he told his disciples to go get it, it was kind of a weird story, isn't it? They go to untie this donkey, and, and somebody goes, hey, what are you doing? Why are you untying the donkey? And they said, the Lord needs it. There was a law in that day that if a king or someone in authority or someone who was an important figure said, I need this, you had to give it to them. It was, it was a requirement. At least it was a suggestion, but I would assume in that day it was a pretty much a requirement. He said, I need this. They said, here you go. And so when they come to this, it, it, it's somewhat miraculous in that I guess the people don't know who Jesus is. Maybe they did, but they just simply said, the Lord needs it. My Lord has need of it. And they said, okay, take it. And they bring this, they bring this donkey and they ride Jesus into town as a king. Shortly after Absalom leads the insurrection against David, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 2, Ziba brings David some food, and it says he brings him some donkeys. And David asks, what are these things here for? Why are you bringing these things to me? And he says, the donkeys are for the king's family to ride on, and the food is for you to share with those who need it. 
See, Ziba knew the king's family needed to be on that because Absalom wasn't the king. David was the king. He says, I brought these for you to ride on so you don't have to walk out of the city like you're defeated. He brought him the donkey. Jesus rode into, king, into Jerusalem as a king, but he rode in as a prophesied king. It didn't just stop with the fact that he was a king. He was a king that had been prophesied that he would do so. All the way back into Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, we see this prophecy of what's to come later on, and it mentions a donkey as well. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. The nations will obey him binding a fowl to the vine and his colt to the choicest vine. He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. He's going to be royalty. He's going to be a king. He's going to ride in as such. Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 11, somewhat quoted in this passage, look, the Lord announces to the entire earth, say to Zion, look, your deliverer comes. Look, his reward is with him and his reward goes before him. In the passage, it talks about daughters of Zion. When we read that, we go, what does that mean? It just simply means you inhabitants of Zion, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. And here Jesus is riding in and he's going to be the fulfillment of a prophecy. And the greatest one of that passage is Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is legitimate. He is victorious. He is humble and riding on a donkey, on a young donkey, the fowl of a female donkey. He rode in as a prophesied king, and he rode in as a humble king. You notice... Zechariah 9.9, he says he will be humble as he rides in. Why does he say that? Because in verse 10, he said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war, or the bow of war, will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, there were kings who rode in peacefully, and there were kings who rode in and simply took charge, simply took over without anyone's asking or wanting or desiring them to be king. In fact, if you go back to the story of Absalom and David that I read from a moment ago, all the way back to 2 Samuel 15 and verse 1, the way that Absalom overthrew David was it says he provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. See, Absalom came in and said, I'm taking this kingdom, this kingdom is mine. He did so with horses and chariots and warriors. See, Jesus came in not as a, a warrior king. There's a time for that. He came in as a humble king. He came in as a man who would start the week being praised and lauded and loved and who would end the week in a little different manner. See, this is the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. He's walking into Jerusalem, being praised as a king, as a prophesied king, as a humble king. See, isn't that how he lived out his life? 
Isn't that how Jesus was known to the world? Look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Early on in his ministry, Jesus simply says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and what? And humble, lowly in heart. And you'll find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a burden that's laid on, on the back of an ox. Jesus says, there's a burden of following me, but it's light compared, compared to the burden of the world. It's light compared to the burden that other things will put on you. He says, you come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And as a king... I won't lay on you more than you can handle. I won't lay on you more than than we can handle together. Might be the better way to say that. There's things that we're going to go through. Jesus isn't the one laying those on us. The world does. But Jesus is going to help us bear them because if you think about a yoke, there's always two. It's binding two things together. Jesus says, I'm going to help you carry it. I'm going to help you take care of it. The things that you go through, I'm going to be there with you so that you can get through those things. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You come to me. I'm meek, and I'm lowly in heart. In Philippians chapter 2, we've read this before, and you've read it before, no doubt. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus in this passage. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So number one, he humbled himself from heaven. He he came in the appearance as a man. He came in the flesh. The word became flesh. That's starting off. That's humiliating. The, man, the, the being that molded mankind came as a man. You put that together? You thought about that? You ever painted something? You ever made something? You ever done something artistic in your life? Some of you go, no, I've never done anything artistic in my life. I, but, but when you think about making something and then becoming what you made, that's what Jesus did. Jesus made us. He was in the beginning when we were created. He was there. It says nothing was made without him. And then he humbled himself to become his very own creation. And if that wasn't enough, he says being found in appearance as a man, he further humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. For this reason also God has highly exalted him And bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and those on earth and those who are under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who gets on their knees and bows? Who do we bow to? We don't bow to a normal person. We don't bow to an everyday person. We bow to a king. Jesus is king. He got there because he came in as a humble king. And because he humbled himself, 
from heaven. And then he humbled himself on earth to people. God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to the king. And who confesses you're my Lord, those who are servants to a king? And one day we all have to do that. Maybe here, it may be later. If you do it now, you're a part of his kingdom. If you do it now, you're a part of the kingdom that God established here that will go on into eternity. Are you willing to bow before him? Because see, it doesn't stop with the fact that he's an, a, a humble king. It moves into the fact that he's the eternal king. You see, by the end of the week, people are going to be questioning whether this Jesus really is the king. See, 1 Timothy that was read earlier for us, chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. The Messiah was the prophesied one, the one who was to come, which he will bring about at the proper time. Who is, notice what it said. If you didn't catch it when we read it earlier, catch it now. Blessed and only sovereign over all things, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and, notice this last phrase, eternal dominion, eternal king. The other passage, Revelation 15, 2 through 4, when he comes to the end of it, he says, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, Righteous and true are your ways, king of the nations, as Blake mentioned in his prayers, not past, not, not even future, but right now, king of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, glorify your name, for you are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. See, the most interesting part of this is that that week starts with them praising him and ends with them shouting, crucify him. It starts with the people proclaiming him as king of kings and it ends with the leaders mockingly putting king of the Jews on his cross. It starts with them lining the streets with their coats and with palm leaves and it ends with them lining the streets while spitting and hurling abuse at him. It starts with them praising him as an eternal king, and it ends with them rejecting him as a crucified criminal. But it was in that, it was in that very thing that Jesus proved himself to be the eternal king. It was in that very thing. You go, how is it that he could go from being praised to being, them wanting him to be crucified and it proves that he was the eternal king because death did not conquer him. The grave couldn't hold him. 
And because he went to the grave and came out of the grave and the grave couldn't hold him, then he is the king eternal. He is king Jesus. They were right at the first of the week. They were wrong at the end of the week. They had the opportunity to praise him, and they did. But they lost sight of something along the way, or at least some of them did. It may have been a somewhat different crowd. But the people who praised the king riding in at the beginning of the week, because they thought he was just a king for that day, they missed that he was the king eternal. That his kingdom would last forever. We sang earlier today, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Have you made him king of your life? I know it's time to put things away. I know it's time to go. But I want you to listen to that question. Have you made him Lord of your life? Is he your king? I know he's king. I know that he reigns. But do you? And have you made him such? Have you decided that he's going to be king over your decisions, over your actions, over your words, over your relationships? Have you decided that he's going to be king at your school? Have you decided that he's going to be king at your workplace? Have you decided that he's going to be king in your home? Have you decided he's going to be king in your neighborhood? Have you decided that he's going to be king everywhere you step foot? That you're walking in his kingdom and you're in his territory and everything that you do belongs to him. Have you made that decision? Because I can't make it for you. Only you can make the decision to lay your heart in front of the king like they laid their coats in front of him. You see, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, it describes what it's going to look like in heaven. One day, we're going to see a very similar passage or very similar picture to what we saw as they rode into Jerusalem. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him ride into the new Jerusalem. And what it's going to look like when he sits on that throne Revelation 4, verse 5, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they did not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and they will cast down their crowns. Remember how Paul says we're going to be given these crowns? We're not going to keep them. We're going to throw them at his feet, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, to receive honor, to receive power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed 
and were created. Is he your king today? If he's your king now, he will be your king eternal. But you have to decide whether he's your king. Are you willing to lay your heart before him like you're going to one day lay your crown before him if you do so? And the way that they laid those coats before him when he came into Jerusalem. Have you made him your king? Have you believed in him as king, as Lord? Confessed him as king, as Lord? Been buried in baptism with him because he was raised from the dead to show himself eternal. You will be raised up from the watery grave, leaving your sins behind to follow him, to let him lead your life. This morning, if you've not done that, why not? Why have you not made him king? Why have you not let him have your life? If we can assist you, if we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?